Let's go to space, Blue Sky Learning, Episode 3, Lunar Rovers and Leveraging Passion. Today, we interview high school students Owen Welch and Caden Dooner, who are part of the Ameris Lunar Rover Team, a subset of the CubeSat Development Team. They discuss how being part of an experiential STEM program has inspired them to take their work into other areas of their lives, including conferences, science fairs, research, and ultimately, career paths in aerospace. Stay tuned after the episode for information on joining the AIAA, the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, which both boys mention as being instrumental to their respective projects. And don't forget to check out our partner site, BlueCube, to see many of these teams in action. You can check it out at www.bluecubesat.com. That's www.bluecubesat.com. We'll be back with our takeaway after the interview. Okay, well, thanks for joining us, guys. Today we have with us Caden Dooner and Owen Welch, who have been uh, strong advocates working on our lunar rover. So in our recent episodes, we were talking a little bit about Cube Satellites and the program that, you know, we kind of started that kind of embodies aerospace and, and, and debate and so forth moving forward. But Owen, I know you were involved in the program while you were there at the school. So can you tell us a little bit about what you, why you wanted to join, what it, what it seemed like to you when you first joined in, and ultimately how it spurned your interest? Right. So I got involved in about eighth grade because I've been interested in science and space since fifth grade. It was just a passion of mine. And when I eventually did get involved, it was kind of shocking to see how in-depth and how hands-on we were in such a big experiment like a satellite. So it was, like I said, very hands-on. We did a lot of work on the payload, the systems, and the actual behind the scenes of sending up a satellite to space. So it was a very in-depth and just fascinating project for me. And was it something when you, when you first got into it, could you believe that middle school kids were doing something like that? No way. I, I of course studied that before I looked into satellites. I was learning as much about space as I could, but I always saw it as more of just a NASA big project, high end thing that I maybe could get into if I worked hard enough and worked into the field. But then doing it as a middle schooler was just kind of jarring, but in a good way for me. So Kaden, you did not, um, that was not one of your interests when you were at middle school, but you got involved a little later on. Can you tell us, you know, why you got involved later on, what it was that spurned you to do that? Right. So I started off at Weiss. Uh, I didn't really have any interest in aerospace at all. I was, I, I kind of liked the computer engineering side of stuff. I liked the computer sciences, but I didn't really do anything with it. Um, I knew that the program there was there when I was there, but I just didn't really do much with it. Instead, just kind of focus on the computer aspect of everything. Uh, as I went on to high school, I kind of realized, oh, that you know, that was a really great opportunity that I that I missed, and I should probably be a part of that. Uh, so, moving on into like my freshman sophomore year of high school, I went back uh, and started getting involved with the little stuff, uh, little stuff as in like going to Washington D.C. and advocating. Uh, for space policy and uh, just joining the teams and uh, well now I'm here with that with a changed interest in aerospace engineering um, and I'm leading teams uh, with the students and um, so yeah I've gotten heavily evol evolved, uh, since then. 
It's actually both of you went on that one uh, that one advocacy trip where we took high school students. So I know, oh, and that was not the first time for you. Kaden, I remember you commenting about how cool it was to kind of walk in the tunnels underneath the, the Capitol. Oh, and is it is for me too, when I go, I've been a couple of times like you have, I'm always kind of like, I feel so important when we're, we're walking those halls. Did you kind of get anything from the those legislative blitzes as well? Yeah, and it was just a little bit more of that behind the scenes that I mentioned earlier, just about more that goes into the science world rather than just the math and the science, how it's so interconnected with everything that we do. And I also learned a bit more about the benefits just from advocating to other people, just about how much it really does help us. So yeah. um, it was it was really fascinating and you did feel a little bit more important just walking through those hallways with the big people. I know, right? And then you guys are in suits. That's always a fun trip. But today I want you to share a little bit more. Now we have some background. So you had a student who was definitely interested in space, a student who was less interested in space, but more into the computer side of things. How did you get involved in a lunar rover project? Well, I personally, of course, had uh, contacts with both you and Mr. Simmons. So we had the idea when I was in eighth grade to do something bigger, such as a lunar rover, but then it didn't really manifest itself until I had already graduated from LICE. So um, Mr. Simmons reached out to me with the idea um, while we were working on other smaller projects. And of course I accepted because this is such a big thing. So me being interested and Caden now being interested, both decided to take control of the idea and start working on the experiment. That, that was kind of formulated for just high school students. Is that right, Kevin? Is that kind of how you? Yeah, it was a, a project worthy of the kids that had already been a part of a CubeSat, but, and wanted to take that knowledge to the next level. So by building a rover based on CubeSat technology, that, that would give them a, a, a launch pad to a really nice project for their high school years. And, and that makes sense where somebody like Caden who hadn't necessarily been involved was able to offer a certain skill set that, because I guess there's some kind of computer involved in the uh, rover? With, with any kind of spacecraft probe or rover, it takes all disciplines of engineering, it takes artists, it takes uh, all types of management skills. So there's literally a place for everyone on a project like this. Got it. So tell me a little bit about what the mission is. Um, and we'll start with Owen and then Kate, and then you guys can chime in. I know you guys have, um, you'll also be able to share some of your experiences about the SmallSat conference, maybe where you started developing some of your ideas a little bit more, and even how you've ultimately extended it to some science fair and some research, uh, even conferences, right? So we'll start with you, Owen. Right. So the goal of our mission is to try and evaluate different ways of mitigating the uh, effects of the lunar dust on the moon. So this dust or the regolith has um, many negative effects on the astronauts, on the technology that we send up to the moon. It cuts through things and it's highly toxic. So we're trying to find ways to deal with it by using electricity or um, magnets because the dust itself is ionized because of the solar wind that is constantly bombarding it due to the no atmosphere on the moon. So we're trying to find ways to electrically charge our technology or use magnets to divert this lunar dust and try and find ways to just reduce the effects that it has on the things that we send to the moon. Caden, so when you were contributing to this, uh, you know, what was, what was your point of focus? Right, so like Owen said, we're focusing on mainly mitigating the dust on the lunar surface when we send up our rover. Uh, for me, 
I had a couple projects going on at the time. So I wanted to take that idea and expand upon it a bit more. So I started looking into electric and magnetic fields. And since uh, through our research, we know that the lunar dust on the lunar um, soil is positively charged when sunlight strikes that dust. Uh, we know that it can be repelled by an electric and magnetic field. It's, it has a positive charge. Um, and so I took that idea and we've been experimenting with that to this day, actually. Um, and we've had a couple uh, ex like redos with the experiment, just uh, overcoming and like adapting a bunch of the problems we've we've had and just evolving the project into what it is now. We've still got a lot of research going into it. Uh, there's still a lot of things we need to figure out in regards to that project, but it's coming along and we still are uh, going to be doing that for, for a bit of time still now. Caden, quick question. Why is lunar dust such a concern to those that are going to the moon? What, what, do, what do you see as the biggest problem for a rover or a spacecraft going to the moon? Right. So uh, we know that lunar dust has been a problem really since the Apollo missions, uh, as they stated in their mission logs that uh, we, they had problems operating due to the dust. That dust was just sticking to everything, uh, like the astronaut suits and even clogging up the equipment that they have, like the rovers. Uh, so that dust on the moon is very small. It's a sharp like material, kind of like kind of like small, like sand, like grainy, like uh, like that. And it can easily stick to suits and tear them up even um, and cause so much problems up there. And so we've, we've known that has been a major problem uh, for astronauts and for the equipment up there. So we just want to find a way to reduce that so that we don't have as much problems, uh, especially if we do plan on sending people up there, we need to find a way to kind of get rid of that factor since it that dust is also believed to have toxic properties. So we definitely need to overcome that if we're going to do anything up there. Um, Owen, how does the dust accumulating on particularly one component of your rover? What, what's the what's your biggest concern with an unmanned vehicle? Uh, we understand definitely uh, impacts humans, but what about the unmanned? What do you what do you see as the biggest problem with your unmanned rovers? Right. So on our unmanned rovers, we obviously use solar panels to generate electricity and power. And so accumulation of dust on the solar panels blocks the sun and the photons and actually will reduce the power outage that we get from our solar panels. So if we can find a way to just repel it off of the solar panels, that would be massive for our power output. Good. Can you can you tell me a little bit? I know that there's this is based on CubeSat technology in some respect. So can you connect your rover with the CubeSat? Uh, yeah, definitely. So the rover itself is going to be simply a 1U CubeSat that we unfold using night and all hinges. And so therefore we're using a bunch of CubeSat technology, a lot of information that we learned through the WiseSat and other previous experiments. And we're going to be basically directly applying it to our Mars rover to help with a bit of that learning curve and a bit of the ideas uh, that we're using on our satellite. Okay. And so with this lunar rover, Kaden, can you tell us a little bit about the destination? Like, have you guys figured out where you want it to go or, or how it's going to get there? Or how does it, how do you get there? How do you get to the moon? So we're planning on uh, going to the Locus Mortis point of the moon, um, just since that's the area which has the least amount of obstacles for a rover. There's still plenty of obstacles up there, but out of the areas up there, it's definitely the easiest to land on. But also because our uh, flight that we're going to go up with, we believe we're flying with the astrobotic payload, uh, 
probably in 2022, 2021. Um, I don't know the specifics like that, but uh, Astrobotic Payload, I know we're going up on that rocket, and since it's sending a bunch of other CubeSats and rovers there, uh, we are working around that area. You mean when you when you say we're using them, you mean that would be your ideal, right? I mean, nothing is built yet. It's not like it's ready to go. These are ideas of who you would use theoretically, right? Right. Yeah. We're still in very basic early stages, but we've okay. spoken with Astrobotic and we've talked to them about their Peregrine lander, and so hopefully that's who we're going to be going with. Wow, I don't think most people can even imagine, like it's hard enough to imagine just regular space stuff. And now you're talking about kids building rovers and, and CubeSats. It's a lot for people to wrap their heads around. So how do you explain it to other you know, kids your age or even your, your parents for that matter that you're doing kind of real aerospace work? I mean, how do, you, how do you do that with your friends? We'll start with you, Owen. Well, even doing it and being part of it feels a little bit surreal. It doesn't actually feel like I'm working on a lunar rover yet. It just feels like, I'm just doing another experiment, but explaining to them, it's kind of just saying exactly what it is. There's no other way to go about it. Do they it. get it though? Do they understand it? Or do most kids look at you and go, mm, yeah, okay, right? Or do they not have an interest or, or do they have an interest? Well, for my interested friends, they're obviously very excited about the idea of it, but it's also a bit hard because if it's hard for me to wrap my head around, it's hard to actually comprehend that we're working on a lunar rover. So when you talk about it, it kind of just sounds words in and out of your head, like, okay, mm -hmm. cool, it's a lunar rover without actually understanding what we're doing here. Right. But it's still very exciting. Caden, do you have anyone in your circle that you, you've kind of shared this with that they, they must seem impressed? Like when you tell even adults or whatever what you're doing, they must seem to be like, wow, that's a lot for a kid. Well, yeah, I, I do tell a couple people. I try to implement uh, this work into a lot of my schoolwork as well. So a lot of my teachers are probably reading about this and they most likely don't understand as what I've heard about sometimes. Um, but for the people that I do tell, uh, they don't really understand it. I don't really, they don't really seem to care too much uh, for, I, I don't really think they but they're pretty impressed, I think, it. with the idea that high schoolers or, you know, middle schoolers are doing that kind of work, right? Right. I don't think that they would think that someone such as me or someone such as Owen, even middle schoolers, um, would be doing this type of work. It's like a higher level kind of thing that people should be doing. So it's definitely... It makes for a pretty cool science fair project. Well, that's what yeah. I want to talk about next. So I, this has kind of spawned into a few things for you. First, it's like this great idea and we're going to be part of a team and you guys meet every now and then. And it's been less frequent since COVID, understandably. Uh, and then, you know, you get busy in your own lives at school. So the fact that you're adapting this into other things is pretty fascinating. I think other parents would find that important too. So how have you adapted? And we'll start with you, Owen. How have you adapted this project? And then we'll come to Caden as well. Well, of course, we've been doing a lot of independent research and we've been working on it at home, but we've also used this uh, project for a conference that we just presented at, the uh, COSPAR uh, 2020 for Young Scholars, where we were able to virtually present our abstract and our idea for this project um, by recording the video and sending it in beforehand. But we were able to still present at a high level conference and work around the whole situation that we're in right now. You did that with the IAC too, am I right? And I think you guys did the Dubai one. Originally, we were all supposed to travel to Dubai and to Australia. We're supposed to be in Australia next month, right? But um, it was IAC that was the first one that you guys did, yeah? I know Caden was on. That was his. That was Caden. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the but first. you guys presented together. Oh, no, just Caden on that one? Yeah. Got it. Okay, so you did yours for COSPAR, which is like 
literally happening now. And you have been working on your science fair project, Caden. I know Owen's been helping with that because ultimately Owen can transfer what you guys are doing the following year, right? So tell me a little bit about the science fair uh, project that you've been working on. Right. Well, before I really go into the science fair, I think it's important to note that this whole idea started like last year, which was my junior year, uh, with a competition with AIAA. That's kind of where we came up with that idea. Uh, it started as like simply using just magnetic and electric fields, seeing which one's better, using certain dust boxes, uh, and using only a certain method. And now evolved into using Van de Graaff generators. Uh, we still have to kind of figure out what to do with mag with the magnetic field, but we're looking into creating our own kind of magnetic dust uh, simulant. Uh, so it's definitely evolved over time. So the science fair that I'm working on, uh, I just took what we've been doing this whole time and just put it into my science fair project as I've done with a lot of my other projects, because this can be uh, reused. It can be, you can just find more uh, information about it through various other experiments. So the science fair. Um, what was your question for the science fair that you were investigating particularly? Right. So I'm looking at the efficacy of using electric and magnetic fields in uh, reducing and mitigating that lunar dust buildup. So it's the same question that we've been answering. Uh, we've the same one we've been researching, but we're looking at uh, specifically the electric and magnetic fields using the Van de Graaff generator for that electric field in general. Yes. Caden, uh, for those of you listening, Caden mentioned the AIAA, which is the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. It's the world's largest professional organization for aerospace professionals, individuals, and they have something called the Design Build Fly Competition, which is primarily for high school and college kids. The competition to which that Caden just described involves proposing an experiment and the winning experiment nationwide is given the opportunity to fly on a suborbital flight with Blue Origin. And uh, I, I know that as having worked with these kids, uh, this is something we're going to probably keep entering until we win it, frankly. Well, AIAA is also the one that sponsored the Congressional Visits Day that they attended That's too, right? That's, That's correct. Because I think we were the only high school chapter even though we weren't really a high school so the students got to present a lot of AIAA banquets as well right so they've been a very important organization I think for our group and any teacher can join right. by the way right any teacher can join for free the AIAA. That's right and um, the uh, students uh, on our podcast today they are two of the only high school students that have called on Congress and um, uh, they're part of the Team Florida and our aim every year is to call on all 29 Florida congressional offices. So it's a, it is a tremendous experience. And the, for those of you that are listening that are educators, we highly recommend that you join as an AIAA educator, which is at no cost to poor teachers, and that you take advantage of the numerous resources that they can provide, that, that they provide at no cost for your classroom. Great. Okay, so um, before we conclude, and we, we do have about six minutes left or so, I want to talk about the impact that being involved in these larger projects, the projects that most adults never do, whether it's from speaking, like Owen has, spoke, you've spoken at Humans to Mars, you know, um, and, and we've done these travel trips where we're at satellite conferences. So when you think back to all of the experiences that you've been able to partake in, how has it shaped you as a student and, and how do you think it may shape you moving forward as an adult? We'll start with Owen. Yeah, one of my biggest takeaways from all of these trips 
has been meeting all of the other high level people who also go to these things, whether it's a college student or actually I've met Buzz Aldrin once at one of my trips, just meeting all of these people who are so fascinated and passionate about the same things that you are and learning about the steps that they took to get involved and things that they've done and trying to uh, become high level scientists. It's been really inspiring just to talk to so many people like that. And it's been just informational, eye-opening, and it's been a great way to shape myself as a hopefully future scientist. And will it affect what you're looking to do career-wise, do you think? Definitely. I've been, I've wanted to be a physicist since about fifth grade because I got just passionate. I've got a spark from one of my teachers learning about space and I've wanted to do it since then, but it's definitely shaped my ideas about the field and what I need to do to get into it. Got it. All right, Kaden, you came late to the game, as you said yourself. How has it changed you as a student now and, and maybe where you see yourself going in the future? Yeah, so let's see, before all of the aerospace that I was doing, I didn't really have anything to say. Uh, I, I did a science fair once with involving some code, which I mean, seems high level, but for that school, it wasn't too high level. Um, Certainly, I felt great about it, but prior to all the aerospace, I didn't really have much going on for me. So that program definitely affected me a lot. I changed my interest uh, in subject. I was looking at computer sciences, computer engineering, and while I'm still interested in that, I've definitely moved toward an aerospace engineering, um, definitely on the technical side of um, everything. Um, so that's greatly impacted me. All these competitions that I'm doing, I'm now leading groups of students about lunar rovers and whatnot, just entering a bunch of competitions, speaking to a, a great amount of people who are way older and in the actual field itself. I definitely feel great about that. It's definitely made me stand out from my peers uh, who are not doing all this other stuff. Um, and it just... I have a genuine interest in this uh, subject now uh, where I haven't really seen before. Um, I've gained a lot of abilities. I'm able to speak to large crowds. I can write scientific papers now, which was always a bit difficult, but now I've done a lot. So I, I, can, <laughs> I can actually do those now. Um, so I've definitely gained a lot out of this and you're, you're kind of our resident editor for all of our podcasts and our, our video conferencing that we have to do now. So that's a skill that definitely uh, I know that I don't have. So as we say goodbye to them today, um, if you were to, to give and think about this, guys, too, if you're to give a student a piece of advice, you know, about finding their passion or getting involved in something, regardless of what it is, what would that, that advice be? And we're going to start with Mr. Simmons first, advice for anyone listening about, you know, how they can get involved now or uh, again uh podcast today our our uh, students are obviously two that i'm very proud of and uh, i would say just as these students have when you get an opportunity make the most of it and uh if you find that you have a passion for a topic find somebody in that field learn everything you can just go out and uh, uh don't give up just keep persisting and uh good things will happen any further words for, for people who are listening today that of how to get involved? What about if you're a parent of a kid? How do you how do you encourage a kid who might have a slight interest in space to to get involved in something bigger? Well, 
as a non-parent myself, that's kind of hard to answer, but uh, I just say to get them to try it, no matter if they're overly interested or just might want to try it out, just do it because you never know where it might lead you. Going to Weiss, I personally didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave all my friends at my old school, but doing it now, it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me because it opened up so many doors and opportunities for me. So just, just try it. You never know where it might lead you. Okay, and anything that you would say to kids who are reluctant to, to get involved in something or who don't know what they want to do? Yeah, so definitely take the opportunities. I think that Mr. Simmons already kind of touched on it, but I think that's very important, taking those opportunities. You don't have to be a standout student. You don't have to be extraordinary. You don't have to be like really, really, really smart. You just need to take those opportunities like I did. I mean, uh, I've done so much now that I just don't really believe yet still. Um, and it wouldn't have happened if I didn't take all those opportunities. I started off small. I, I started off just joining a program. I started off just by entering myself in the competitions, just joining what all the other students were doing. And I've learned and adapted to everything. And now I'm one of the, I, I guess, senior members of that group. And I'm leading groups of students. I'm just writing all these papers and I found a genuine interest in this subject and definitely know what I wanna do uh, later on in life. So definitely just take that opportunity and keep, keep going. You don't have to- I know I said it was the last question before but I'll just make this, I promise the last question. You guys are both in high school now. You both experienced kind of different experiences in your middle school. What should a high school do? How can high schools around the nation, and certainly in our backyard, get better at creating experiences? What is lacking in your high school experience? Um, I'd say a lot of hands-on learning, a lot of uh, passionate learning is lacking because it's a lot of just out of the textbook. You memorize facts and then just move on with it. Whereas the work I did on the rover, on the satellites that I've worked on, I've actually retained the information because I was excited about it. I saw what we were doing and I was working with it hands-on. So I wasn't just memorizing things out of a textbook. I was actually learning the things that I was doing. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that as well. Hands-on learning, uh, but also I feel like schools kind of stick to the norm. They have your your main classes, which are very important, but I don't think they let you explore too much. For me, and I think well, both of us attend the same high school right now, uh, they don't really branch out too much. Uh, you can't really, there's no engineering club. There's like a couple engineering clubs, but they're really small. There's, and it's just run by students. There's no actual programs for us who are interested in STEM education to really go into. Uh, so I think they need to add more of that, definitely get more hands-on experiences and just let us explore what we want to explore. And we'd have a genuine uh, interest of students who want to enter that field and would carry on doing that. Well, you know, we do have Space Club that's opening up in January. So if you do have friends at your high school who might be interested in learning enough to get to where they can join the, the satellite team, you know, we'll send you the flyer and you can share it out with them because that's one way that we can, we're always looking for new people. We want to share this with others. So, well, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. I know you've taken time out on your Sunday, so we won't take any more of that time, but um, we look forward to seeing you guys back when the, the CubeSat development team gets together again in January. Any final comments to you, Kevin? Just proud of your work and uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, join us on today's podcast of 
Let's go to space. Thank, Thank, you, for you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Wow, it was really great seeing Owen and Caden again. And it always shocks me to think about the kind of work that these kids are doing. So what are the next steps for the Lunar Rover in 2021, I guess now, 2021? Well, we'll continue to finalize some designs and start building some prototypes. Uh, we have identified a few of the components we would like to use that we think would be suitable for the surface of the moon. And we'll continue to look for the best ride uh, as far as a rocket or a spacecraft to get us to the surface of the moon. So I know we had mentioned the AIAA, or at least both Caden uh, and Owen mentioned them as well. So how do listeners become members? Like, is there a distinction between, can the general public become members of the AIAA? Well, the two classes of membership that I'm aware of is a professional membership and a membership for educators. The professional membership does come with uh, annual dues, but educators are encouraged to join the AIAA and become educator associates at no charge. Right, and I believe if you just go to their website at www.aiaa.org, you can go ahead and and check out. In fact, I know that as a teacher, they'll have resources there too where you can get lesson plans and ways to kind of implement this in your classroom. So when you think about kids making lunar rovers or becoming members of professional organizations, you know, what what are your takeaways that somebody listening today can kind of what are the the high level overview so to speak concerning educators and professional organizations however right? you want to however yeah educators um, should look for the professional organizations in the fields that are that are involved with their interests and their passions I would always encourage an educator to find out what, what is their passion and then find the professional organization in that field because oftentimes those professionals, they are dedicated to recruiting new, new students, new employees, new people into their area. So it's in their best interest to provide resources to you because you're just enabling the future workforce to gravitate towards them. Yeah, I guess when I think about takeaways, you know, the of what the, the boys mentioned, it's really important to get involved. Even if you think you're not able to do something, even if you don't know exactly where your skill set may lie within that, if an opportunity exists, you have to take it. So that some of that is facing fear, whether, you know, as an educator or just in life. I think that's a, a lesson any of us can le- learn, students or not. And I also uh, found it interesting that they mentioned the importance of of working within these organizations to build their skill sets as well. So like learning how to be able to speak, how to network. Uh, I guess overall, the idea is to find something, take a chance, and and give it what you can. Any other final comments with that? No, just an agreement that the students explore your interest, uh, find, find your opportunities, and don't give up. As long as you have a passion for an area, you should keep working in that area and good things will happen. All right. Well, we will see you next week as we remind us to let's Let's go go to to space. space.